You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. This is uh, Aaron Halstead, the content manager and editor of Preaching Source, filling in for Dr. McCarty today. Um, in the studio with us today, we have Pastor Ken Witten. Uh, pastor Witten has been uh, the pastor at Idlewild Baptist Church for 30 years. He's been married uh, to his wife, Jenny, for 42 he has served in various local, state, and national capacities, including SBC International Mission Board, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Florida State Board of Missions, Florida Baptist Witness Board, and others, uh, just the denominational servant uh, and a pastor here with us today. Uh, pastor Whitman, it's uh, great to have you in the studio. Thank you very much, Aaron. It's a joy to be with you. All right. Well, we're uh, here to talk about uh, preaching during pressure points, or just uh, times in the life of a church that may just add some extra stress on the life of the church, uh, things that happen uh, that are just out of the ordinary uh, in, the, in the routine uh, life of a church. So, Pastor Witten, uh, working with that kind of a definition, what, in your opinion, would be some common pressure points or periods of added stress that take place in the life of the church? Well, you know, the pastor's not exempt from his own pressure points as well as the church. And so as he's doing life with his church and he is the, uh, uh, the, chep- the shepherd of that church, uh, there'll be things that are going on in his life personally. There'll be things that are going on publicly. Then there are things that are going on privately uh, in, in the life of the people in his congregation. And some things that he will know, because leadership always has more facts than fellowship, And he may know and no one else does. Uh, you know, sometimes, Aaron, even, and it's not just preaching, sometimes even in our worship, uh, my worship pastor will say to his choir, now, now listen to me, in faith, you've got to smile in this song. Now, we haven't got time to stop the song and to explain to them why the lady in the third row back there, fourth from the left, is not smiling. So you've got to smile in faith knowing that, hey, Weeping may endure for a nighttime, Psalm 30, verse 5, but joy cometh in the morning, and it's going to come to you. Well, let me just say that. In in the analogy of that very same thing, pressure points come up to even pastors, and they deal with that within their churches. And there are some times that uh, a pastor can preach, and and he he can preach as if no one knows there's a pressure point. When it's personal, he does that. Uh, When it's private, uh, when it only in, in encounters just a few people. There's no sense trying to explain something to everybody that only a few people know. But then there are things that are church-wide in which we do. And I think when we talk about preaching, and we know that there's topical, we know there's textual and contextual, and of course every a text without a context is a pretext, of course. And, and then, of course, there's expository preaching. So those three models lend to different styles for different people, but I'm a personal fan of expository preaching where your points and subpoints come from the text itself, and that's the definition of expository preaching, I believe. And so as you're preaching expositorily, it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit, who already knows your tomorrow and knows what's happening, how that you could be in the third chapter of James or you could be in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians, and, and at the very moment that you're there, something has already happened that God said, I gave you a word for that before it happened. Now, uh, 
that's not always the case. But if you're preaching faithfully week by week by week with a text in front of you, it is amazing how you can, without going to seed on the entire tragedy that happened, you can bring it up as a way of an application. Because, you know, there's, we have to have, we have, you know, it's the argumentation, it's the interpretation, it's the application uh, of the text itself. And so when you're dealing with that text, you have to leave room for application. But as, but as you're talking about pressure points, I think it'd be fair to say that, which I think your question was, what are some common pressure points that a pastor would face? I think in Florida, we're, we're going to deal with hurricanes. The last hurricane we had, when we canceled our service, I still came up to the church with my worship pastor, and we did a online worship service with singing and preaching, and I did it on Acts 27, when you're faced with a storm. And they were leaning in because they wanted to know, it's coming to Tampa. It's going to hit us. We are in, at that moment, the eye of the storm. They kind of wondered, what was I doing going up to the church? In fact, probably my wife and them both were on that same page. What are you doing going up to that church? But there was a part of it that gave real liberty of being there. First of all, they knew I loved them. Second, they knew that God's word could still meet them where they are. Um, And Aaron, I've had people, uh, we've had storms. People were walking through storms. That's an interruption. Um. You're in a building program. It can be something fun. But at that moment that you're trying to raise millions of dollars, you're probably going to do something in your sermon series differently than what you were doing right before and take them four weeks, and you're going to talk about giving, and you're going to talk about being thankful, and you're going to talk about the vision of the church and the mission of the church and, and the mandate of the church. And so you have to stop at that moment in your series and preach through that pressure point. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we talk about um, some uh, pressure points are more fun, some of them are uh, a bit more emotionally draining on the on the life of a church. Um, you know, a preacher, most of our, our listeners, they're not only preachers, but they're pastors. And so part of the task of preaching, uh, you're, you're wanting to be pastoral and you're preaching as well. So when you, when you get up um, to preach and also pastor in your preaching, in your sermon, when you're dealing with a pressure point that's going to be more on that that negative or emotional side of things, how much do you as the preacher or the pastor take on uh, the emotion of that pressure point uh, when it, in terms of the preaching event? You cannot escape it. You are going to take it on because you, when you're doing life with your people, they know you. Um, and um, we're not actors. We're shepherds, we're preachers, we're pastors. It shows the the humanity and the vulnerability, I think, of their pastor when he can stand there and take a text, and while he's preaching that text, let that text preach to him. I would suggest even to some pastors, when it's maybe even more personal, that somebody else even do the preaching. I think sometimes we think as the pastor we're indispensable, nobody else can do it but us. I have found probably now, after being at Idaho 30 years, it hit me one day, Aaron, that 
I buried some of my best friends. Cancer. Had a man just recently um, who orphaned six kids in his 30s. And um, it was was a swimming accident. He, He drowned. And he was my dear friend. Chairman, former chairman Deacon had cancer. I buried his son in a car accident. I buried his other son who died of cancer, and then he got pancreatic cancer. And we were great friends. I buried my associate pastor with a brain tumor. When you encounter those as a pastor, I think to the fault of what I'm getting ready to say, to the fault of myself, and maybe some some pastors listening, I, I think we kind of put on that, we have that complex where we just kind of put on that S on our shirt and we just push through because there's somebody else hurting. There's somebody else with cancer. There's somebody else who's lost a loved one. There's some other funeral you have to do. And that builds up after a while. But I think because I was the pastor, I felt like I had to. And maybe if you're a pastor of a church that doesn't have a lot of staff, maybe that's you. But I think you would have understanding deacons and understanding leadership of your church that would say, hey, listen, let's bring in so-and-so. Let's let him preach a couple weeks, at least next week. Pastor, get out of town. Do something. Best thing they could do for their pastor. So we all face that pressure point. The great thing about the Word of God is that's exactly what the Word of God does. You can't read Psalms without reading emotion. You can't read Psalms without reading sometimes of David's anger, of his hurt, of his tears, day and night, he would say. Um, Paul talked about his shipwreck. Um, James is writing, it's the bossiest book in the Bible. Every other verse is an imperative. And, and he's just telling you this is what you ought to do. And this is what, what, what is he doing? He's speaking to the church and the, the church at a crisis that dealt with uh, you know, trials and temptations and their tongue. And, and, and Paul's talking to a church in Corinth that's carnal and still acting like children and 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 being haughty and saying we got spirit yes we do we got spirit how about you and he's and he's addressing them and I think that is a great pastoral model for us you cannot avoid the issues that people are facing they want to know do you read the newspaper pastor they want to know do you know what's going on in our city you have policemen are shot in your city or you have a tragedy take place in your city or you have a high profile coach um, like I have had where his son committed suicide you just can't act like nothing happened it was a normal week it was not a normal week so it's a real test for the pastor at that moment as he hits the uh, you know the matrix and the apex of uh, the intersection of his life to walk before his people and just say to them, you need to know your pastor's hurting today. But they didn't come to hear you anyway. They came to hear God's word. And many times God's word, you point one finger out, you got three of them pointing back yourself. God knows exactly how to do that for all of us. Oh, that's a, that's a good word. Uh, we, we've talked about this uh, some, but when you're, let's say you're, you're preaching through uh, a series, whether that's book series or, or maybe a more topical series, but one one of these pressure points comes up, and uh, pastorally you, you have to acknowledge it from the pulpit. Uh, what would you advise would be best practice 
uh, in a case like that? Do you take a break from the series to address it? Do you try and work it into the series, maybe as application points or in some other way? But what would you advise to be the, the best? I, way I think to first of all, it? you'd have to look look at the circumstance and look at the the context of your text. Look at what's happening now. If you're in the book of Philippians and you're talking about joy, and you've had a real tragedy in your city or in your church, you're not going to preach through the book of Philippians. We're not, we're not here. They're not there just to hear something. They're here to meet someone. And the other thing, Aaron, is to understand that if Barna's research is correct, and I believe it is because I'm seeing it, if the average member today is coming to our church 1.7 times in four weeks, you think about Baptists of yesteryear, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, for four weeks, that's 12 times a month. And if they're only coming now one time a month, 1.7 times a month, I think the least you ought to worry about is your series and whether they're hearing it. They've already missed three or four weeks. What they want to know is, is there authenticity in this place? Can the man behind the pulpit, can he, can he wield the sword in a way that comes my way to let me know of how I should be able to deal with something? Now, if you're in a text and you're, you're, in, that, you're in that time of, uh, of Elijah and you're preaching about Elijah and he's fighting depression and he's saying, God, why don't you take my life? And you've been dealing in an area of suicide. And God just gave you a layup. He just threw you a softball. He laid it right out there for you to say, listen, how about you and I both work through this text together and let's see if we can't minister some people who are walking through and how they can have victory on the other side. The worst thing a pastor can do is to let people think that A, he doesn't go through them. B, he doesn't really care if you're going through it. And, And C, the worst thing you can do is is, is to be preaching on something different than where they are living. And, and so I think it's called flexibility. I think it's, it's called a rhythm of preaching to where they know, listen, we know this. Our pastor is going to have a word from God. And maybe in part of the series, or it may be a break. Every pastor knows it's good to take a break from a series anyway. Uh, you know, when you, you preach the book of Revelation, after a while they're saying, well, when did you join the church? He said, oh, I joined in chapter 7. You know, <laughs> I joined in chapter 11. They, they want to break anyway. So sometimes it just works out perfect. All right. Uh, one uh, pressure point uh, specifically uh, that can happen in the life of a church uh, can be the pressure point of, of division. Um, so if a pastor is undergoing uh, this particular kind of pressure point. There's some sort of conflict or division in the church. Uh, when he gets up to preach, how can he guard himself uh, from defending either himself or maybe the, the, the side or party that he identifies with? Um, and how can he guard himself from um, attacking or, or, or denigrating the other side that he disagrees with? You know, when a pastor is at a church, it's a marriage. It's a marriage of the pastor and the people, and they're married. He's got to see himself as one, not two. And so he, he cannot afford. He, he has to sometimes adopt uh, the axiom that others may, I cannot. Because 
there is no if there's no winners, there's no losers here. If you if if you have winners and losers, it's like a church that votes on everything. If you vote on everything, you got winners and losers. Pretty soon, you have a church full of losers. And so there's there's things that the pastor cannot afford to let himself get in a position of. And as you've talked about division that's coming in the church, maybe it's attacked to him. Um, and he has been getting some emails. And by the way, they can come pretty quick today. You can get a text before you get back to your car, telling you, "Hey, we didn't like it." Or uh, so they can give you pretty instant feedback that you, you know, that maybe. Uh, our dads and granddads didn't have, but we can get them right away. Um, and if it builds and builds and the church is in the midst of that and the pastor finds himself in the midst of that, I, I think sometimes the best thing he can do is to stay in the text and let God work it out in the text itself. Otherwise, it's going to come across in your spot preaching that you're picking your spots that, you know, it's like the person says the Bible's inspired in spots. Of course, they're inspired to spot the spots. Well, you know, when you get that pastor who says, well, you know, I've got this text. It fits. Well, it fits if you're on that side. It fits if you're on that. And, and then it's, it's like a husband and wife arguing. You know, in the book, The DNA of Relationships, Gary Smalley talks about the power of one. And he talks about being a team. And in that book, it's so powerful. He says, do you understand that if you win the argument, you've lost in many ways? So we're not building arguments in our preaching, and we're not building cases where we win or we feel like we won today. Because if we win and our church loses, we've lost. But the text has a way of, without exalting us and without abasing us, humbling us and helping us to see a bigger picture than who we are. I love practical, pre- I, I'm a practical pastor, practical preacher. But I will tell you, over the years, at times, that got in the way. I, I think I was more concerned sometimes about giving them something to work on or to do than really showing them a glorious Savior, high and exalted and lifted up, to where he can tell them what to do. Preaching is not about hearing something. Preaching is about meeting someone. And so if in that, if that what's going on in your church right now is unpleasant, God's called you there for a reason, and God's called you there as the pastor to take the Word of God, and it does two things. It cuts on the way in, and it heals on the way out. It's a two-edged sword. It's... It's the bomb of Gilead. It adds comfort. It adds joy. It's got everything ingredient in it to heal and to bring salve to that which is hurting and soothing, including your own heart. Use it. Use the Bible. And I think the Bible will use itself. All right, Pastor Witten. Uh, bringing this uh, practically to the side of, of, of the pastor uh, when he's going through a particularly trying time in the life of his church, or, or well, particularly in the in the life of his church, how does that affect his sensitivity or his tone, uh, or his, just his delivery uh, in the pulpit? You know, there's a lot of discipline that's required in preaching. Um, sometimes within the text, and sometimes within 
your times of studying. You studied and you had, maybe you prepared that two weeks ago or a week ago. It's been in the hopper for a long time. And you didn't have that which you're facing now, then, when you're preparing it. And you might have been a little lighter. You might have been a little flippant. And you might have some funny stuff in there. And by the way, humor's medicine as well. And laughter's good. And every preacher knows to be an effective communicator. You've got to bring them up for some air. But there's a discipline that's involved in preaching like none other. And that is the sensitivity of what is out there. Now, if you're a shepherd that know your people, then you, you probably do know who's out there. And you know sometimes that, you know, that, that might have been funny two weeks ago, but that would not be funny today. That story about, hey, so-and-so, and he died, and he went to his friend, and then you're, you just that week did a funeral, you're probably going to stick that one back in the, you know, in the hopper. You're not going to bring that out because just even talking about death means something different to you. Now, why does it mean something different to you? Because you just went through it. We'll stop right there. I think it bears for all of us to ask ourselves the question. Um, I think when Paul said, you know, be sober, serious-minded is the word, is that word. And I think there's a lot of flippancy in pulpits today that the problem is, um, and I don't know if Vance Havner said this or somebody else, but it was very well said when he said the problem is times are desperate, but pastors are not, or the people are not. And I think there's times where flippancy is, and probably flippancy should never be called for, but even sometimes you have to restrict and discipline yourself in being lighthearted. And it depends on the situation. Now, if you're always morose, if you're always seeing the cup half empty, if you're always, if you never smile, ah, that's not good advertisement either. You know, Hebrews 1, 7 says, Because thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, even God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet, he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. In other words, if you got in a group of 10 or 11 people, the happiest person in there would have been, you would have said, oh, it's Jesus. And yet he was a man of sorrows. How do you balance that? Well, because that's who we are. That's why Paul said that we're cast down, but we're not forsaken. Uh, he says we're poor, yet making many rich. And you find that text in Paul's talking to the Corinthians in that very section there. It's a great section because the devil said, well, listen, I'm going to take everything from you. He says we're having nothing, and yet we possess all things. He said, well, I'll give you a whole bunch of things. You can't. I already possess all things, you know. And everything he said, and that's why Paul said that's the contradiction and sometimes the complication of the Christian life. We have everything, and yet we own nothing. And when, and when, you, when you translate that to the pulpit and to the ministry, you are full of joy, and yet at the same time, you have tears. And so blessed is the balanced pastor that knows when to come to the pulpit to cry and when come to the pulpit to weep, we're going to miss a few times. You're looking at a man who's missed more than a few times. But I do know this. I believe our people would say he's real. He's authentic. He's not afraid to weep. He's not afraid to laugh. I had a person say to me one day, they said, I think you use entirely too much, way too much humor in the pulpit. 
<laughs> I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, sir, can I just say something? If you knew what I wanted to say that I didn't say, <laughs> you'd be so happy with what I just did say. <laughs> well, our uh, guest today has been uh, Pastor Ken Witten, uh, pastor of Idlewild Baptist Church, just giving us some, some great pastoral wisdom on uh, how to preach through uh, pressure points. Uh, pastor Witten, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio. Thank you very much. God bless you.